0: Last month at the Ultimaker Transformation Summit, Roger Berg, Product Manager Software for Ultimaker, shared some context for Ultimaker's commitment to supporting and growing a wider ecosystem of 3D printing software partners in one of our conference sessions. Here is a snippet of what he shared.
1: Ultimaker is deeply rooted in its open source origin, and we still very much have this idealistic culture that in order to change the world, you have to collaborate with others. One thing we see when talking to all these customers is that they all have different workflows in place and different components from various suppliers. So if you want to optimize this, we need to engage with other software companies to make this a joint effort. And we have already been actively working with some of these software partners on creating nice integrations.
0: After this summit, this topic inspired the Talking Additive team to consider this rich ecosystem of 3D printing software companies emerging lately. Having just highlighted excellent Teton simulation in episode 22, we quickly identified a few others we feel our listeners really need to hear about. Hello and welcome to Talking Additive episode 24. Today's episode features three guest segments, three software solutions that each represent perspectives on the expanding role that 3D printing software plays within manufacturing today. For the first segment, I will be joined today by Omer Blair, co-founder and CEO of Castor, Castor has developed a software platform that helps manufacturers and engineering firms leverage machine learning and automation software to quickly evaluate bills of materials for even massive parts and components lists so that they can recognize which parts might be more efficiently and affordably produced by a range of AM technologies, from FFF 3D printing to SLA to SLS to metal additive manufacturing options. He discusses how these tools help manufacturers new to 3D printing overcome incorrect assumptions about which kinds of parts are good candidates, as well as introduces costs and logistics savings that bring real business value next up i will be joined by florian de co-founder of spentis spentis is a software solution for the medical industry that makes it possible for medical professionals to produce high quality orthotic devices faster and at lower costs than typical manufacturing by leveraging spentis's 3d scanning orthotics optimized 3d modeling software and 3D printing preparation resources for a range of additive manufacturing technologies. We speak of the origins and development of the Spentis platform and the role that Ultimaker FFF 3D printing has played in helping Spentis introduce on-site in-clinic fabrication labs for some of their top customers. And for the third and final segment, I will be joined by Dwan Scott, VP of Partnerships at NTopology. Duan discusses, among other topics, their platform works to make highly optimized analysis validated parts by developing implicit models and using software processes to produce manufacturing instructions for how to fabricate them. Leaping from engineering requirements to final job files in some cases without passing through a traditional CAD design process. He makes a case for how this approach is now being used with their enterprise customers to play several roles, from iterating solutions through to validating processes themselves. More on this and other topics on Talking Additive. On Talking Additive, we sit down with business leaders, innovators, and allies to discuss the impact of adopting 3D printing in their businesses. How does adopting additive manufacturing positively benefit a business today? How is the role of 3D printing evolving within design, manufacturing, education, and our lives? And what will be possible in the future? Welcome to the 24th episode of the Talking Addif podcast. Talking Addif launches new episodes on Tuesdays every two weeks. Since 2011, Ultimaker has built an open and easy to use solution of 3D printers, software, materials, and support ecosystem that enables professional designers, engineers, and manufacturers to innovate every day. Ultimaker prides itself on solutions that are flexible, productive, and scalable. Its global team of over 400 employees works together to accelerate the world's transition to local manufacturing and digital distribution. Welcome to episode 24. 3D printing software at work in manufacturing. We have a very full program for our listeners today, so we will dive right in with our first segment, Omer Blair, co-founder and CEO of Castor.
2: Hi, I'm Omer, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Castor. Castor is a decision support system for utilizing industrial 3D printing, which means that we enable manufacturers to decide whether to prefer 3D printing over traditional manufacturing methods when it can save them time and money.
0: As you mentioned in your introduction, you have a pretty long history in additive manufacturing, and you've really been focusing on this for a while. I ask, as I ask probably most of our guests, what drew you first into additive manufacturing?
2: So I, I started working at Stratas as a student, but later I continued to be an engineer and a team leader and a project manager and a product manager, and I was in a, in a position to really see the market needs, and on the other hand, really get to know the technologies, not only Stratasys, but the others also. And it was interesting to see that the hardware is already there, but there is a lot of applications that are missing, okay? And applications for us meant software, and this is how we started caster. It means that we looked for opportunities to bring parts to the printer, right? To bring more parts to the table, And help manufacturers realize the full potential of additive manufacturing.
0: When you and your co founders were imagining the the possibility for a company like Castor, you were seeing opportunities or not being met in uh, applications that could be well served by additive. Would you like to share some more details about the manufacturing ecosystem as you were first? shaping Castor?
2: That's a very good question. When we started to draw fundamentals of the software of of Castor, we looked at discrete manufacturing companies, mostly in the machinery industry, large machines, Uh, so companies like Flextronics and Jabil and Emerson and Samina and Foxconn, the manufacturers of the world, when it comes to when a machine OEM, for example, design its blueprints and send its blueprint to a manufacturer to produce the parts that are the components of those machines, none of the sides considers 3D printing as an option to reduce costs. One of the questions that we ask ourselves is why 3D printing is not being considered when it's just low volume, high complex or low volume, high mix uh, manufacturing of those machines. And it turns to be that they don't have enough information and in-house expertise to use 3D printing to generate profits. They are not aware of what's out there in a service bureau arena and what 3D printing can or cannot do. And they're taking the design as is for granted and they don't challenge the design or the choice that was done by the mechanical engineer who designed the parts to think maybe I can do something else or I can reduce costs. And this is exactly where we're offering them a decision support system for utilizing industrial 3D printing, which helps manufacturers to decide whether to prefer 3D printing over traditional manufacturing methods when it can save them time and money. The way we chose to do that is by analyzing CAD files. So we analyze CAD files technically and economically And we're doing that with with some Fortune 500 companies, as I've mentioned before, but I would say that within that, we have few major technologies that no one else has. The first is the ability to go over thousands of parts at once, so large manufacturers using Castor mostly as a screening tool to identify cost reduction opportunities out of a full bomb, bill of material, out of the whole dashboard of a car, the whole interior of a chair of an airplane, a whole inventory list of spare parts. Okay. So going over hundreds and thousands of parts at once and within seconds, sometimes minutes, we provide an answer very quickly, whether there are opportunities to use 3D printing out of those parts. So this is the first capability that we have that I think addresses this problem that we've identified of what parts make sense to use additive for cost reduction reasons. The second capability we have, which is uh, pretty unique, that's a patent we have, that's the ability to combine multiple parts into one. It's more to identify adjacent parts out of large assemblies, out of large number of parts that are that needs to be assembled So we know how to identify adjacent parts that makes sense to use, to be used as a single part in 3D printing. So that's the second capability. And the third capability that, uh, we bring to the table, which is very connected to those kinds of manufacturers. It's crucial for automotive for aerospace, for medical devices, for discrete manufacturing. It's the ability to identify weight reduction opportunities. We're not a generative design or a topology optimization company, but we are very good in identifying bulky parts that have a potential to reduce weight. And we also provide an option to reduce this weight by making parts hollowed or hollowed with a uh, lattice structure. That is, the hollowed parts are strong enough like the fully dense part. And that's, I would say, one of the biggest uh, tickets of additive manufacturing. The degrees of freedom of the design is the biggest tickets that 3D printing can bring to the table other than the cost and the lead time.
0: Our application engineers work closely with customers providing the resource of bringing this expertise to the table. And they're very excited about what Castor offers because those three are the key challenges. They find that companies that are aware of additive manufacturing guess that maybe it would help them. They still really struggle to figure out where the right places are, and in fact, their first instincts tend to be, thanks to all the the marketing around the kind of top complex parts from aerospace you know, case studies shared over the past you know twenty years, they're like, oh, let's do this really hard thing that's really expensive, and let's make it more expensive, <laughs> and and so it doesn't really work out. So a resource like yours really shines a light on a lot of opportunities that would be neglected by a company without outside support. And also the the parts reduction and weight reduction, those are always requested as kind of key factors, particularly aerospace, where where the weight reduction is worth even jumping to pretty costly technologies. But we find as we have a lot of those customers in common with you in certain contexts, they're finding ways that polymer parts can help with things like replacing over-engineered parts that really weren't that targeted. Uh, so uh, it's a great list with all the knowledge and access to ranges of industrial out-of-manufacturing processes. I, I w- would love to, to get your thoughts about how FFF fits in- into the landscape there. Okay,
2: let me answer first on the hat of Castor and then on the hat of how we help FFF printers to print more parts, basically. We're focusing on either on low-volume, high-mix Parts, Okay, as you said, not the most expensive one, the less sexiest one, the bracket, the, the add-on, the, those that are might not be the critical mission parts, but they are a good opportunity for cost reduction in 3D printing. That's one application. The other is Jigs Tools Fixtures, which ultimately make a, a big role in this arena. So that relates to every manufacturing technique. Everybody have a production, has a production line, you know, so one of the best way to reduce cost in the production line is to identify parts that can be uh, used in 3D printing. And the latter, the last application we, we were aiming for is spare parts. Okay. After market service, whether I need to keep an inventory of 2 million parts of spare parts they have, or can I reduce this inventory by identifying those parts? that I don't have to keep on the shelves just because it makes more sense to print it on demand, where the closer to the customer and reduce my inventory. And and what's common to all of those is that if you're touching specifically the financial aspect of the consideration of whether to choose 3D printing over traditional manufacturing method, you find out that there is always a break even point versus the traditional manufacturing method in meaning of quantities, of production quantities. So FFF plays a role when the quantities are low. Okay. So I would say, I don't know, between zero to one hundred. Okay. But what we're trying to do as a software is for each one of the parts within a bill of material, we're trying to identify this break-even point versus the traditional manufacturing way. And a lot of times, It makes sense to use FFF solutions for those low-volume parts just from a financial perspective. Okay, I'm leaving the materials and properties aside and the, the geometry limitations aside from a financial perspective. A lot of time it makes more sense and we're helping... Manufacturers to understand that.
0: You, You'd mentioned some of the integrations uh, that you're involved with. I will selfishly ask if you would talk a little bit about your integrations into Digital Factory with Ultimaker.
2: In general, the software arena in 3D printing is now in a very interesting point in time when there are like 20 things to be solved in 3D printing in order for it to be a sustainable manufacturing method. And we're trying to solve the first Two problems, what parts make sense and what small changes on the design and give you a a big uh, advantage. And when we push the results downstream to what you can do with these results, there are a lot of opportunities that manufacturers can take, specifically if they're an Ultimaker user, to grasp these results and understand and and conclude from that what they can do with their print, okay? So one of the integrations we've recently created is an integration to the digital factory of Ultimaker, which means that we can take a large number of parts, a bomb, bill of material, screen it, analyze it, narrow down the discussion from those thousands of parts to those 50 that makes sense to use additive manufacturing. And if you liked, as an Ultimaker user, you liked those results of those 50 parts, Then you can shift it to your digital factory warehouse or the place where you want to keep your parts, your files. And then you can either send it to Cura or either redesign it and put it back uh, there or reanalyzing them. But at least we've narrowed down again, we've narrowed down the discussion from a lot of parts to those very parts that make sense to use additive. So there now, part of your digital factory. So uh, it's a very streamlined uh, process. The input is a a large number of parts assembly. The output is parts that make sense to use additive and they are being stored in the digital factory place.
0: Thank you for sharing about that uh, integration into a digital factory and digital library. Are there other integrations that you should uh, highlight at this time to some of the other contexts and channels for? serving your users?
2: Yeah, so we now mention uh, a push integration, which means that Caster does the analysis and then push the information to 2D to printer. We also have a pull integrations where we take information from PLM systems slash ERP systems. We are partners in two startup programs. The first is the Frontier Startup Programs of Siemens. The second is SAP SAP, Subpartner Partner Edge Program, which allows us, it enables us to develop on top of the tools that those great software companies provide. So we know how to automatically pull this information, do the analysis and push it to the printer and the, print and, uh, the printer users uh, down there.
0: Now, let's talk a little bit about the future. So you... Uh, came into, to, to the creation of Castor seeing an opportunity where, uh, a lot of applications that are great matches for additive were not being located. They were not being, the customers were not finding them and getting the help to achieve them as you are succeeding and, uh, you're getting customers around the world and helping convert more companies to being additive capable.
2: That's a very good uh, question. I think that uh, we're all asking ourselves how the additive manufacturing arena will look like in in a year or two from now. I would say on our end, as a software company, we're focusing on, on three different aspects. The first is integrations, but it's not integrations, it's just the technical aspect of that. It's creating a seamless workflow, okay, where people can Stay, engineers can stay inside the environments they use to work with, do the analysis. Think of a bot running over the night and uh, in the morning provides you an answer of what parts make sense to use additive and you take it from there. Okay. You don't need more than just to click a button when you leave your desk and and to see the results in the morning. So that's where Castor is heading with its integration and to streamline the process of parts identification. The second is end-use parts and end-use manufacturing opportunities. I think prototyping and its hype is now turning into a hype of real end-use part, end-use manufacturing. And so the adjustments to the software, to the algorithms, the ability to predict likelihood to failure of a part, the ability to predict mass production in the financials, uh, those are all aspects that we need to, that we see as fundamentals in adapting additive for end-use manufacturing. And uh, the third would be uh, things that software can do without, let's call it this way, AI and machine learning aspects of software enables outputs from the software that a human being just can't do, Okay. To identify parts that make sense to be combined to a single part is it might be a task for an engineer or a student or a, a good task for engineer that can that can look on a lot of parts, but it's not suitable for scale, right? So we do that in scale. We analyze thousands of parts, and in that aspect, we have a lot of algorithms that are uh, really enhancing. The capabilities of either experts or non-experts in additive manufacturing to do their job better by giving the letting the computer do the calculations of uh, what makes sense and not trusting their own uh, judgment or uh, expertise.
0: That's an incredible resource because while while this knowledge is. Flowing out to, to those who are mastering it, very talented engineers who aren't looking at the additive manufacturing processes themselves and not operating them, they're not as aware as, uh, as your tool is for what makes sense. Because it's not just what is possible, it's what makes sense. And uh, it makes your system a, a, a huge refinement over what's uh, available. If uh, our listeners are interested to, to learn more about Castor and, and, and what, what you offer, where would you send them?
2: Our website is www.3dcaster.com. I'm at Omer at 3dcaster.com. Omer is like Homer Simpson without the H. It's O-M-E-R at 3dcaster.com. We welcome you
0: to visit. Send a note. Thank you very much for joining us on Talking Additive this week.
2: Thank you for the time and the opportunity. It was uh, great.
0: Our first segment featured Omer Blair. Co founder and CEO of Castor. Next up, we have Florian de Book, co founder of Spentis. So, I'm Florian de book.
1: I'm the co founder of Spentis. Um, Spentis is a Belgian medical company uh, based in Brussels. We are focusing on implementing 3D technologies inside medical environments, inside medical institutions. Spentis is a 3D scanning, 3D modeling, and 3D printing platform that enables medical uh, professionals, orthopedic technicians, to produce custom-made immobilization devices like orthosis, orthotics, but also all kinds of devices that will immobilize or support the patient's limb. Then for the 3D scanning, we actually either provide a 3D scanner to the orthopedic technician so they can use our own 3D scanner. It's an iPad with a structure sensor It's plugged in on the, the, the iPad and an iOS application that you have developed internally. Then for the 3D modeling part, either they use their own modeling software, or they can use our modeling tools actually on the iPad. So they can design and model the spleen super fast. In less than two minutes, they can design and implement the, the expertise to design and model the spleen they want. Or they can also use the, the splinty designers. So we have designers internally um, that can design for them and help them design the product they want. It's more often used for more complex products to treat more complex pathologies. And then for the three D printing part, same as the, the the other steps. So they can either produce the device with their own machines. If they have three D printers internally, they can use them and produce the device. If they prefer, we can also produce for them. They can just use Pentis as a third party to manufacture and then ship the device to them.
0: What drew you initially to the opportunity to serve the medical field in this way? My background is
1: biomedical engineer. So I studied three years in Belgium, in Louvain-la-Neuve, the university in Belgium. And then I did my master in Milan, in Italy, two years in biomedical engineering, and more, my specialization was biomechanics. And so I studied all kinds of devices rel- related to the human body, medical devices in general. And then after my studies, I was a bit like, um, okay, I need to develop a, pro- a project and launch a product on the market to really have an impact on the population. And so I was with a friend and we brainstormed, we discussed, and then we found out like the 3D technologies and the medical field. And we found out the the, the the orthosis, 3D printed orthosis. And we were like, yeah, let's, let's actually bring this product to the market. Let's make this product actually a, a reality in the medical uh, environment. So that was really the, the beginning of the, of the project. Of course, it evolved like a lot during the last few years. And first the idea was just to bring one product onto the market. Then actually we developed a whole yeah, workflow, a platform to actually help the orthopedic technicians, the, so the medical staff to, to use the platform, to use the tools to produce the devices. So the, the idea a bit, a bit, uh, yeah, changed a bit during the
0: years. How about the additive manufacturing component, the 3D printing component? What was your first encounter uh, with 3D printing? Was it in your studies, Did, was it after that, that made you think that 3D printing might be a key component?
1: Yeah, so actually, the first time I I saw a 3D printer, my father actually bought a 3D printer like five years ago. Um, And so that's how the 3D technologies actually appeared to me, thanks to my father. I think the 3D technologies are really the the best option for the medical industry. Why? Um, Because thanks to the 3D technologies, we can create and produce custom made devices. And we know that each patient is different. And so we need actually custom-made devices to treat the patient, to develop products that are adapted to the patient, to the pathology of the patient, to the environment of the patient on a daily basis. And so 3D technology, so scanning, modeling and printing can help the, the medical field to bring better products, more qualitative products to the market.
0: So tell me a little bit more about the founding of Spenta. So you or your team had this notion that this would be a good solution. What were the steps you took to to start putting this uh, solution together?
1: So, as I said, at the beginning, I was really like into the medical field. And I, we started the project with uh, one of my friends, Louis-Philippe Bros. We started the project with just the two of us. We bought a 3D printer. We produced the first um, cast, just like a really bad cast uh, or like braces, but actually it was easy to understand the solution and easy to understand the product that you wanted to, to develop. And so we went with, with this kind of prototype, the, the first product to a surgeon, orthopedic surgeon, and we showed this product to the, to the orthopedic surgeon. And he was interested, of course. The product was not perfect. There are a lot of things to change: the materials, the, the design, the shape, the production time. A lot of things to change, but at least there were interest into the product, and so that was the beginning of the idea of the project. As we have seen that there is interest to the product, there was an opportunity, and so we took the opportunity. We identified all the challenges: production time, materials, printing technology, scanning technology, modeling technologies, and then we went. To investors, we asked for money, uh, for cash to start the project. And then we were able to hire a few people, so designers to take care of the design, to improve the design, to automate the design, and then operators to take care of the machines and to perform some analysis on the machines. So, Ultimaker printers, of course, but technologies also, depending on the applications that we wanted to, to develop, depending on the product that we wanted to develop, the pathologies that we wanted to treat, and then, of, of course, also the materials, flexible materials, if you wanted to produce. I don't know, a hand of those is like more flexible in TPU. And then you had to adapt had the design, of course, because you can use the same design for all technologies and for all materials. And we build the, the company, hire more people. Modeling team, production team, salespeople, marketing, new financial round. We know that there is a market. We, we are developing more and more products. We are in yeah, twelve countries for the moment. So we are selling the spending solution in twelve countries: India, the US, Greece, Italy, Spain. So a lot of different countries all around the world. So we see that there is a huge an opportunity with the solution that we bring to the market. The project really started small, just the two of us, and then yeah, the. the now we are like a big company, uh, so that that's great.
0: <laughs> it's a great story. Before a solution like yours existed, what would be the typical route that a clinic or hospital would produce these models?
1: So we have different kind of, I would say, method to produce a, a brace. So there is either you want to produce a cast, and a cast, like, it's often made, like, in the hospital directly on the patient with like a bandage uh, that are like then solidified with a yeah, certain process. So that is like a, one way to produce and to produce a, a cast, a brace that will immobilize the patient's limb. Okay. And that is more used for traumatic pathologies. Okay. So really like when you broke your bones, for example, okay. and then you need to be immobilized super fast at the hospital. Then there is another, uh, I would say market, another, yeah. Model or process that can be used to create braces. That's the model or the process to to build and manufacture custom-made devices for more chronic to treat more chronic pathologies. So we really need more complex pathologies, not only like when you break your bones, but more like a, I don't know clubfoot, for example. That's a pathology for some children have with a deformation of limbs, and you need a, a brace to actually replace the limb in the correct position. And that kind of devices, so a brace, is actually made with leather, with uh, metal parts. With, you need first to take a, a mold of the patient. It's really like a long process to build that kind of device. And the device will be run, well, uh, yeah, put on the patient's during, I don't know, three years, five years. So the patient will wear the cast or the brace for like really long time. And so they need to be like resistant. They need to be strong and... Doable. And so that, that's more the, the market that we target at the moment. Really like more complex pathologies, more complex yeah, braces that the patients will wear for more than, I would say, six, more than six weeks. Okay. And because there is a really huge, huge, huge added value of the 3D technologies in this market, because for the moment to create a custom-made brace, it takes approximately like a week, a week minimum, really like take a mold on the patient work with the leather, with the metal parts, with the articulations, with the, I don't know, like with the the foam to create the the final device. But with 3D technologies, you just need to 3D scan the patient's limb, design the spleen digitally. So you reduce the number of materials, of components and of errors. Then you can really go super fast, everything digitally. And then you produce a device that you want in like a few hours. So like in one, two, three days maximum, you can get the device. So you will reduce actually then the price, the, the, the time that you will spend to produce a device, and the time also like for the patients will get the splint faster. But it's way better for the patients and the orthopedic technician.
0: Now, there have been routes for service bureaus for additive manufacturing for a long time. But what you're offering seems unique from an outside view, in that you have options where either your team will provide expertise for facilitating those parts, or in some cases, customers with on-site production. Could you talk a little bit about those unique scenarios and how those are changing the context for how these pieces will reach the patients more quickly?
1: Yeah. So at the beginning, we really wanted to have like production centers all around the world to produce and to provide the cast or the final device to the patient or to the orthopedic technician. Sorry. But then actually 3D technologies, they're more easy to use than before. They're super user friendly, especially Ultimaker like just a few clicks to just plug uh, plug in or you know, like in the electrical power super easy like uh, in a few in a few steps in like in one of two hours you can be set up and produce the first device and so when we saw that they were like it was so easy to produce that, we actually suggested a few customers to I mean, to to use the, the Ultimaker 3D printer and to actually use the printer at their facility directly so that they can produce the cast or the splint or like the, the, the orthotics, the device at their place and put the, the device faster on the patient. Also, because at the beginning, we were just present in Belgium. Uh, we have another production center in Switzerland. So we were only targeting countries not that far from us. But now that you have customers like in, in India, in, in South Africa, um, we need those like to, 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 to help them to implement the 3D technologies and to help them to, to implement 3D printers in their facilities so that they can produce the device and also like, use our solution. So yeah. use our platform, the platform, to actually uh, produce the final device.
0: It's really excellent. Let's talk a little bit about the AM technologies in particular. You, you'd mentioned a little bit before that they're, you're using a, a range of materials and, and technologies to, to suit the various applications. Could you talk a little bit more about the kinds of applications and the kinds of additive technology that map to them?
1: Yeah. So there are a lot of different kinds of technologies, additive manufacturing technologies. And I would say, depending on the application, you need to choose the right one. If you want to produce a hand orthosis, for example, there will be less, less constraint than if you want to produce ankle orthosis. And immobilization for ankle or for knee needs to be more rigid, resistant, more rigid. And so we need to use different kinds of materials, but also different kinds of, of technologies to really be sure that the, the cap, the, the brace, the orthotics, will be resistant enough for the whole, like, treatment period. And that's really, like, uh, the the key. That's one part. And also, depending on the application, for example, at the beginning, I, I, like, uh, just quickly said, if you want to treat traumatic pathologies, you want to immobilize the patient super fast, like, directly in in a few hours. Um, And to do that, you cannot use, I would say, FDM 3D printers because it takes time to to, to produce a cast. A few hours, um, like a few, maybe a few days if the the the, the, the braces will be like large. And, and so to target traumatic pathologies, we have decided to use DLP 3D printers because actually we can produce a cast in less than an hour. And so we can implement machines, GLP 3D printers, directly inside the hospitals to produce the, the, the splint in an hour. But there is also a button. We cannot use DLP 3D printers for chronic pathologies because we have a, a less, like, less opportunities, less materials available for that kind of uh, machine and, and technology. Um, like for example, with Ultimaker, FDM 3D printers, I would say in general, you can use a lot of different materials like rigid, semi-rigid, uh, flexible also, TPU, polypropylene, carbon. You can really choose the material that you want according to the patholo- the, the, the product you want to do, to develop and the pathologies you want to, to target. And that is not the case in other kind of, yeah, I would say 3D technologies or 3D printing technologies.
0: That's, that's a really clear you know, portrait of, of how that works. And it makes sense that once you identified that generally additive manufacturing was a benefit, the ability to produce shapes, you then could target the right, solutions for each type of engineering requirement for these, these projects, especially the complex pathologies. And, and and I would imagine that having that, that expertise internally at Spences and and from the design for manufacturing for each of those and how they map to these orthotics is is an incredible resource for, for your, for your customers. And to make sure that I represent this correctly, your customers are not the patients. Your customers are the,
1: uh orthopedic technicians. The medical professionals. Yeah,
0: indeed, yes. Indeed. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit about working with them to, to better understand these solutions and how you're able to, to, to give them better tools than they've had before.
1: Yeah. The, the world is well uh, chosen. So we give them another tool in their like, toolbox, in their toolkit, and the tool they, they can use it to actually produce new uh, medical devices. So new orthotics, new immobilization devices. Of course, they do not know the tool. They do not know like uh, a lot about 3D. Um, and we need to guide them to be sure that they use the right parameters, the right material, the right shape for the product they want to develop um, or they want to put on the market. So we have a catalog of um, around 80 products, something like that, um, that covers all the body limbs. So we have, um, I don't know, ankle, uh, orthosis, knee orthosis, neck braces, um, or whatever. We have a lot of different um, like, uh, products in our catalog. And they can choose in, the, in this catalogue to actually put this product onto the market. The thing is that as we have experience with 3D technologies, 3D scanning, 3D modelling and 3D printing, we can really like guide them and advise them like on which printers they should use, which material they should use for each product that we have in, in, in our catalogue. So for example, if they want a, a four arm splint, I would suggest them to buy FDM 3D printers and to use polypropylene. And then we can also advise them more deep. Okay, the thickness should be like three millimeters. You can put alveoli, you can put like holes to actually make the the limb of the patient breathe. You can suggest them to, to make better design to... Produce the, the device with a certain technology, and also yeah, use the right scanner to get the the, the measurement of the um, But of course, like it's true that sometimes it's a bit complex because they do not really know um, the technologies, uh, the 3D technologies, and sometimes they want to make like crazy things that actually are not pos- possible yet. It might be in the future, but like right now, it's not possible to to produce yeah, everything with 3D.
0: I think everybody using additive manufacturing technology needs to recognize that this is, is very powerful technology when you understand it and you understand how to leverage its strengths. But if you don't pay attention to the limitations, you can hit issues. Let's talk about one of the, the most startling things, I think, about this project, which is the way that you empower these medical professionals to to design their own solutions right there on the spot and be able to do it so quickly and really draw on their skills without needing to do all the training that would be ordinarily necessary to be able to design medical devices in CAD. So tell me about that journey and how, how you've worked to make this s- software solution really mm-hmm. help those medical professionals use these tools. Yeah,
1: indeed. So the, the, the I would say the core value of is really the 3D modeling platform, the 3D modeling tools that we provide to the orthopedic technicians. So the, the last few years, we, we, we had designers internally and we still have designers inside in, in Spensys. But we have seen that there are like a lot of, I would say, miscommunication between designers and orthopedic technicians and the medical staff. Miscommunication because medical staff and orthopedic technicians, of course, they have a huge medical knowledge and they always want to implement this new knowledge in, into the, the design and the manufacturing of the device. It is, I mean, it's completely logic, and we don't have medical knowledge inside Spence. We have only uh, engineers that are working on an IT solution, uh, but we don't have uh, surgeons, we don't have uh, orthopedic technicians, we don't have uh, any kind of medical staff. So the medical expertise really comes from our customer, and they should easily implement their expertise into our solution to really like design and develop the product they want. And so that's why we have developed the last few years a solution to help them to draw on the scan, on the 3D scan directly on the iPad, or they can use also like the web platform. Uh, but they can design and draw on the scan the spline, the, the, the device, the orthotics they want. So they can shape like anything. So like the the, the, the borders of the spline they want, uh, I don't know, some holes, they want a, a, a specific thickness, they want, I don't know, some, some coverage or not, they want an offset or not. Uh, so they can really implement the expertise and in less than two minutes, they can. Maybe like after if some are, some people are are interested, I can show them some videos. But in really like in less than two minutes, you can implement the expertise, design the uh, the orthotics, and actually visualize after two minutes the, the the final device and choose the printing technology that you want to really like uh, manufacture the, the final device. That's really like the core business, the workflow, and the the, the value spent is
0: for the, the on-site solutions that that you help some of the some of your customers to set up so that they can be served locally at far remote locations we were talking about this a little bit when we were meeting to prepare for for the interview and we were talking about how there, there can be some advantages to having all that patient data and and all those details managed worked with by the professionals but also executed right there on site in a different relationship than if you had an external service bureau. So tell me a little bit about how this platform helps your, your customers work with patient data and, and the other opportunities that you bring to them to help them make better devices.
1: PENTIS is a platform that gather data to smooth the whole production process. So actually the orthopedic technicians or the user can visualize all the data, gather data, but also like trace and keep and record all the data. Which is super good for the um, regulatory aspects. Because they can keep the data for a long period of time. They can store the data. They can like analyze the data, uh, patients' data, but also like files, 3D model, 3D scan, 3D printing files, uh, and keep them like in a logic way and in structured way onto the Spentis platform. Which is super good for the then the regulatory aspect, but also like to really smooth the whole production process uh, because they can see and visualize on the platform. The 3D scanning step with all the 3D scan files, the 3D modeling step with all the 3D model uh, files, uh, and then the 3D printing step with all the, 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 the printing files. And, and see that in a, like I would say, easy way and to really like visualize patients per patients, the files and the steps.
3: Excellent.
0: And in addition to expanding into new markets and spreading the word about your platform, what are some other things that you see in in the near future or have announced for the near near future for Spentis? Are are there any new developments, directions or pathologies that you're looking to add?
1: What I really like is at the beginning we said 3D technologies is a tool that the orthopedic technicians will, will use in their toolkit, their toolbox. What I really want and what we are developing now is actually to really bring the two technologies, so the tra- traditional way of making a splint, a cast or a brace, with the 3D way to produce. And so like, for example, I don't know, articulation, uh, articulated uh, knee orthosis, uh, we can bring the articulation, the metal articulation into the products and really like combine the two so the, the, the the printed part of the product and the articulation, the metal articulation, the hinge together to actually build and produce and manufacture a really better, uh, yeah, better and yeah, better for the patient product.
0: If you were to think into the further future for the medical field in general, what do you see your solutions as representing as far as how medical professionals will solve more of their needs?
1: When I think about the medical industry and the 3D technologies, there's so many opportunities uh, in front of us, like so many, it's crazy. Like, I don't know, 3D implants, uh, 3D printed implants, 3D anatomical models to, to help the surgeons to prepare the surgery, cutting guides, a lot of different products, really like a lot, it's crazy. And as the 3D printing and but all 3D technologies actually evolve and improve, they are like crazy, like the last few years, how, how they improve and how they, are, how they evolve. And they are faster, They print better product they print with a higher quality they they, they they print all kind of materials plastic materials but also like metallic powder, a lot of different materials mm-hmm. and so this bring actually a lot of different yeah I would say new applications uh, into the field spentis I would say will f- still focus on the immobilization device on the short term, really like uh, producing orthosis is really the focus on the term. as I said we want also to, to bring immobilization in the, the hospitals with gas with other kind of printers and printing technologies with GLP 3D printers, for example. So, still in the immobilization, I would say, market or like orthosis orthotics market, there are a lot of uh, possibilities. And, and of course, like Spentis is there to to, to to take them.
0: Where would you direct listeners of Talking Out if you want to learn more about your solutions?
1: Okay, so I would directly go to the website. And so, Spentis.com, S P E ntys.com and then you can find a lot of different information. They can also reach me by email. So Florian at Spentis.com. If you have any questions, you want to try the solution, see the solution. If you know an orthopedic technician or a surgeon that want to try or test or see the solution, please feel free to, to, to reach us.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much. And and thank you so much Florian for joining on Talking Out of today.
1: My pleasure. Always cool to, to discuss about 3D in the medical industry.
0: Our second segment featured Florian de Book. Co-founder of Spentis. For our third and final segment today, we now have Duan Scott, VP of Partnerships at Antipology.
3: My name is Duan Scott, and I'm VP of Business Development at Antipology.
0: Tell me about N-Topology as a company. What N-Topology is, and how how unique it is in the market. I, I think that people who don't know that much about it. They, they have in their mind that it's a generative design tool of some sort, and it makes these cool lattices. But why don't you introduce Anthropology to Talking Out of listeners? Sure.
3: Yeah, Anthropology was founded by Bradley Rothenberg in 2015 in New York City in a small room above a pizza shop in downtown Soho. For the longest time, it was just three guys in there creating this lattice software element, which was just purely lattices. You take in your geometry, you apply some lattices based on performance, and then you output it and you print it, and it quickly became apparent that the the limitation in what was possible was the underlying geometry kernel, the the modeling, which was based on 80s B-Rep, what every CAD system on Earth really is based on, and there were just some basic functions which couldn't be overcome with that technology. And Brad and the team discovered an existing um, way of describing geometry, which is called implicit modeling or a sign distance function, whereby everything is described by a continuous equation, and every point in space is, is addressable and queryable. So you can see if there is or is not something there. And to do this, though, it's not CAD. It's, it's not 3D modeling. It's computational design. You build up a workflow using these blocks, which are like a programming language for geometry, and then... The geometry appears because of this equation. So what you're really doing in there is building a program in the canvas to make an object. And so you're designing the the process and the object is the result. Which means that if you need to make a change, you just modify the input and the result updates. You can use existing geometry so you can bring in either existing CAD data or model something in NTOP and use that to drive geometry. So it's a really completely different way of thinking. You don't think about lines and edges and curves, which you then, you know, push and pull. You think about performance and you set up the workflow to make that happen. So we do have generative design in that you are generating geometry. You can have multiple uh, load cases in our simulation. We have internal simulation tools for statics, strain, stress, modal, thermal, I'm not sure what else. They keep on in bringing new simulation capabilities into the software. Or you can use external simulation to drive the geometry as well. So it's really performance-driven design.
0: What kinds of customers find topology and have this make a real difference in their business?
3: Yeah, so one of the first... Uh, companies to adopt anthropology was Lockheed Martin for multiple business units and the only reason we can mention their name and most other customers we can't is because they were also investor so it's, it's public knowledge so they immediately use it for light weighting of parts going into all sorts of aircraft and, and space applications so satellites helicopters planes rockets like everything that they do <laughs> every ounce you send up into space costs you a lot of money so anything we can help them save makes sense so they were very early adopters and so too we have more all the major space players and top customers so aerospace was our first sort of industry went to and then closely followed by medical because there was precedent for doing um, these complex stochastic structures for lattice implants and so that also became a market which we spread into pretty quickly that's expanded now to more spinal implants and surgical guides, and other medical device, medical devices. So both aerospace, defense, and medical is, is well-established for us. It's pretty much the same parallel for 3D printing, aerospace, defense, medical, then automotive and consumer electronics are starting to grow as well. Yeah, and also a lot of prosthetics and orthotics, including for pets, which is the coolest oh, nice. one we have. Yeah. Yeah, so there's this company in, I think they're in New Jersey, Dive Design, We're doing prosthetics for pups. That's great. (laughs) It's pretty cool. And they're doing even ducks and goats. Really, it's pretty cool.
0: So one of the reasons that anthropology seems to be able to do these things, at least from how I'm understanding it from talking to you, is that the modeling is both earlier in the process and later than a lot of the the, uh, modeling tools out there. So instead of like extruding a, a mm-hmm, drawing mm-hmm. or something and then starting to build up procedurally over this relates to that, this relates to that, and then and you have a, a solid. And then, oh, and now when you manufacture it and you have to feed it to a different process that analyzes yep. that in terms of manufacturing process. Instead, you actually have the ability to develop the piece to really suit the manufacturing process from the beginning.
3: Yeah. And when you're doing a topology optimization, you can have both constraints of the performance and the manufacturing process way off against each other simultaneously. And you can tweak and say, I care more about performance and manufacturing, or I cannot allow this to happen in the manufacturing process. So I need to make sure it fits for that. So we can reduce the amount of post-processing required, reduce the amount of material with a massive difference. Like I just did an experiment and I reduced the, the mass of the part probably by you know, maybe 2% during the but when I applied the like the manufacturing constraint, so the the mass of the part reduced and the the mass of the support material required was down to a third, and the performance was the same. So it's just it's it's and I I've seen others attempt this in the past, but they've attempted it with a black box process whereby you can't go in and tweak the ratio between the the performance and the manufacturing process, and you can't really tweak. Even the men, the performance because it's black box, but with NTOP, you can go in and modify every single component and make it your own. Can we talk a little bit about the
0: the ways this maps to the various additive manufacturing technologies? What is the role of FFF in that mix?
3: Yeah, I think that a lot of people go with us, use our software for the metal processes because the metal processes are so expensive that to actually make the business case for manufacturing a part with that process, it really has to outperform and a bunch of requirements. And so part consolidation and weight optimization and multi-objective performances like doing heating and fluid flow and dealing with, you know, stresses of impact at the same time is where you can really make an impact. And then as, so there's people doing the really hard things but then there's the really annoying things that we can also automate and the the classic thing is jigs and fixtures and masking and things like that so you don't you, you design an, a jig because you have to you want to make the part and you need to do something with it to assemble it or machine it so you, you have to then go through and make a, a mount for it and it can take you as long to design that component as it does the part and that's not what most engineers want to do. So automating the design of a jig is really valuable. Like it's not sexy, but it's really valuable. And so I think that's the most, I think it's the coolest generative design. Like you can do your, your Bugatti brakes, but only three people can have them. But Generative design for every component you need to hold when you're working in a factory floor. It's cool. It's really cool.
0: Are, are there many end users that you've seen that do have FFF, FDM? <laughs> Speaking of JIG, Automatic.
3: Every customer who has a giant million-dollar metal machine has a bunch of FFF machines as well. Like every single one. Everyone has an SLA and DLP. They they need to get to solutions quickly, and that's how you iterate. You, you need to test things and making sure things fit together and making sure things work. And FFF is a really good analog for DMLS. You need the same sort of supports for different reasons, but you, you need those those structures to hold it. So the orientation, you can learn a lot from designing for FFF for sure.
0: So what roles do you think this kind of technology will play in manufacturing going forward? What kinds of things it address as adoption spreads
3: additive manufacturing is the hard problems like the complex problems but what's interesting i think is because the geometry is more flexible than other manufacturing processes it allows for to think of things differently because we can have so much freedom of geometry we can automate a lot of things if you think of dental aligners or medical implants you you don't go and you don't get somebody scanned and then manually draw a, a capping for a tooth that would be insanity and really hard so you scan it you convert it to implicit you automate it you offset it you do some interpolation of where you want the tooth to be later on and you do it for the 10 variations you're going to do over the next 6 months and you pump it out and it's done where it's a custom expensive thing it's already makes sense but it should be for a lot of things so think of all the plastic packaging that happens around everything that's shipped on, on every shelf Someone's doing that manually and, and they're, they're not loving life. It's, it cannot be a fun job. And we could very easily set up a workflow to automate that process and you could take it, tweak it, make it your own branding and, and pump that out and automate the making of the molds as well. So all the, the grinding labor in Design engineering, we should automate that out and start having people think about doing things better and optimizing rather than just handwork. That makes sense. And this isn't going to take away jobs from engineers; it's going to make them have more interesting jobs.
0: It, it seems to establish a new design space, basically. Yeah,
3: yeah. You're, you're designing the process to make the things, not designing every single thing. But
0: what would be interesting is to talk about published case studies, the things that you can talk about, and yeah, you, the, the way that you help uh, industry understand that anthropology would be
3: useful to that so a recent one we've developed a series of webinars on a case that we've worked on and it was for a heat an oil heat exchanger a student in india took an existing design off GrabCAD, modified it using entop to do these gyroid structures inside instead of using the the pipe heat exchanger which is welded 60 parts and is probably three times the size and weight of the design that he did we took that idea and said okay let's take this as far as we can take it so we took the original inlets and outlets, applied the required heat exchange and designed this part with internal gyroids. A a gyroid is a TPMS, which is a triply periodic minimal surface, which Mm. means that this cell has the minimum amount of surface inside it to fill a geometry. So the volume fraction is something like 6%, which makes it very lightweight, but it's also very stiff and doesn't stretch if it's pulled. And it also has this shared surface area has two domains which never meet because there's a surface which goes and it wraps around itself. And we discovered, as others have recently, that it is very good as a heat exchanger because you can have a cool fluid going one side, a hot coming the other, and they interchange with each other and they want to come to an equilibrium so that it reduces the heat very quickly and efficiently. We designed this heat exchanger. We worked with ANSYS to simulate the, the flow of the liquids and the heat exchange and optimize it. They did a few iterations to optimize it. We then sent slices to eos to 3d print and we used in simpleware and nsi i think it is to scan the as built part and compare it to the geometry that we sent to the machine and it was super super close like they've never seen anything this close before because the side effect of this geometry being a minimal surface and containing stress so well is that it didn't distort when we printed it and so it's super super clean super efficient super light and it's only we only know this because we worked all together, sharing information openly with um, no contracts, just working together. And it makes a massive difference when we do that. Because if we just did it ourselves, it wouldn't have been as good. It might not have worked and no one would believe us. <laughs> so I think it's critical cool to do that. Could you talk a
0: little bit more about what it means to really be able to really deliver to manufacturing processes? That's an interesting concept. And in CNC, in 3D printing, there's cam, there's slicers. So often you're doing something that's slightly different than that approach, which is very common for metal printing to skip some of those processes. Yeah,
3: the reason why we included manufacturing processes, really, or outputs into the software is because the geometries were just too complex and too heavy to get into print preparation software. So we could create something in implicit and the, the files are so small, like the Literally, you could make a complex heat exchanger, which has thousands of unit cells and topology optimize and surface texturing for additional cooling, and it would be the file size in up would be kilobytes. If you took a screenshot of that part, that would be bigger than the file of the part itself. Then when we try and mesh it to send it to print prep software it's suddenly like eight gigabytes and we can do it we can put one out and our software is multi-cored on the cpu and gpu so we can handle complex things but if we put it into an, an older software which isn't multi-core then it just sits there and waits and or crashes so our customers were saying this is great but i can't make it you, you this is this is basically a rendering software if you can't manufacture it and so we had to Create ways of outputting other formats. And the two approaches, which are most applicable for additive manufacturing, is we slice the part and send out generic slice files to different machines or custom slice files or even down to the polylines, hatches, points, laser, power, speed, everything. And then the other is the 3MF format with the beam extensions, which was based on the LTCX, which we developed, which is describing. Uh, lattice structures as points, as nodes, cones, and diameter. So that also offers a massive reduction. I did some test coupons for an SLS system, and I think I did 10 coupons of these stochastic lattice structures with different thicknesses. And it was 1.3 gigabytes in a mesh format, which was not a fine mesh, a coarse mesh. And then the 3MF beam extension was 176 kilobytes. Wow. So it's, it's just the factor of difference is huge. Sh- is so huge, and it makes it it makes things makeable instead of just being. We used to joke that they were end trapped, end top. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Looking at the
0: needs in the manufacturing ecosystem, why should more of these processes like you're talking about how uh, useful this tool might be for things like creating a system that can generate packaging mm-hmm. or jigs and fixtures automatically? Why is this kind of solution really going to make a difference for manufacturing?
3: As it goes forward. When you automate design processes, you eliminate wasted time for engineers who can be doing better things like innovating on the actual thing you're designing. So if, if you're spending so much time preparing things to make things, then you're not making as many things as quickly. And when your engineers can iterate on the process, you can, as well as you know, do these automatic things, you can improve the efficiency of not just the manufacturing process, but the part itself. And when you improve the efficiency of the part itself, then you reduce waste and we, we make the world a little bit better <laughs> each time we make something instead of consuming more power. So a company in California, uh, Hollow AM, who make uh, cooling plates for CPUs and they're 3D printing DLP copper. And so they can get very fine resolution and they're using NTOP to design the channels for the flow of the liquid through them. And they're reducing the amount of power required to cool the chip first and then the ambient temperature of the space that's around. So if you're making a data center with thousands and thousands of the CPUs running, the, the cost of air conditioning that and the carbon emissions from doing that is huge. And if you can reduce that to 30% of what was required, that's a huge reduction in, in emissions and carbon output and while maintaining the same, if not better, efficiency. So this is where the combination of additive manufacturing and advanced design play so well together to really make a huge impact for our shared customers and their customers and the environment at the same time.
0: For listeners of talking out, if you're interested in learning more about Anthropology, ready to have these kind of solutions,
3: how would they learn more? Well, the best way would be to visit our website, Anthropology.com, and you can download a trial straight away. By default, it's in this preview mode with some example files, so you can open up a file and start modifying things. In fact, you can open up any file. So if you have a colleague or a friend already using Entopology, you can grab an Entop file off them, open up, modify it. Over the past year, I think we've done a hundred short presentations on workflows in Entopology. So all of those are available to download as well, whether it's based on structural engineering, heat exchanges, shoe soles, seat into car interiors, or lots and lots of different options to download experiment with it. And if you're interested, you can unlock a trial for a couple of weeks. And if you're really interested and you have some money, you can buy the software. One other thing I'd like to add is that we also sort of are super serious about supporting the next generation of engineers learning how to use computational design. So we give our software for free to all students and educators to learn how to use the software. We only charge people who are doing paid research, like government research. But other than that, it's all free and open and we have a good community of people who can help you get spun up on how to use the software
0: so Duan, thank you so much for joining on talking at it well, thank you very much it was loads of fun
3: it's good to speak uh, yeah if anyone wants to reach out to me on linkedin whatever i'm always open to talk additive manufacturing especially design
0: thanks again to Duan scott vp of partnerships at Entopology, who was our featured guest for our third segment today we hope that you've enjoyed our 24th episode for the Talking Additive podcast, 3D printing software at work in manufacturing, featuring Castor, Spentis, and topology. If you have questions about any topics covered during this episode of Talking Additive, we invite you to post on Twitter or LinkedIn to hashtag Talking Additive, all one word. In two weeks' time, on May 25th, we will return with episode 25, a very special episode for Talking Additive that will feature the 10th anniversary of Ultimaker, taking stock of all that has taken place within professional desktop 3D printing over the past decade. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the conversation by signing up for news and announcements at TalkingAdditive.com. Thank you again to Omer Blair from Castor, Florian DeBook from Spentis, and Duan Scott from Entopology for joining us for episode 24. Our series producer is Hana Gabrielle Takini, studio manager David Roberson, executive producer Nuno Campos. Music and episode sound mix by Brian Scarry and Giulio Carmasi of Hummingbirds Custom Music and Sound. I am host and producer Matt Griffin, and thank you for listening. On Talking Ad If, we hold conversations with colleagues and customers about 3D printing's impact on business.